All right, so Trailhead DX. This is um, Thursday, so it's over now, officially. It's uh, about 10, 10 o'clock, right? Yeah, 10 o'clock local time. We've all uh, had fun evenings. Some imbibing Where is has, Scott has occurred. Where is Scott Wells? I have no idea. <laughs> He's he's yeah he's on a, he's headed back he's got uh, he's got Friday pizza with the family that's uh, the big tradition in the in the Wells household Friday pizza make pizza from scratch yeah it's 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 a good tradition we do that at my house too like we make pizza from scratch but it's just it's not real regular but um, and we don't get the our kids aren't quite old enough to be involved in like well I take that back they would be offended by that they are involved they like to think they're helping but it's only really my wife who's like the dough master you know and she's really good at it. Yeah, but. we do uh, homemade pizza because there's this pizza shop in uh, Somo in New York City in Manhattan that makes it. What is like that, a, south of something? It's like the um, the place you get nice clothes. Okay. <laughs> is, it, is it Soho or so? Might be well, Soho. Soho would be south of Houston, Houston right? It's probably Soho. It's got to be Soho. It's Soho. Okay. Yeah, I'm getting it wrong. You're confused because um, so, we're in Soma right now. No, no, no. I'm talking about Manhattan. Though. I know, but we're in okay. Soma right okay, now. Okay, so that's why. Getting your yeah, south of the market. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so there's this place that sells pizza by the slice and I went in one day and I had the most amazing pizza of my life. It was like a vodka sauce pizza, like this, just this amazing vodka sauce. So I, I came home and I described it to my fiance. I was like, this is the best pizza I've ever had. Like you have to, you got to figure out how to do this. So she figured out, like she went online and found all these recipes for vodka sauce and just experimented with a ton of them. And over the course of a year, like kept tuning the sauce recipe until I was like, yes, this is the way it tasted. And now we have it like once a month. Like she recreates this pizza from my fantasies. Oh, God. Wow. <laughs> you have such exotic fantasies. And Chuck. that's my story about pizza <laughs> yeah. fantasies. So that's funny you say that because we just recently, last week, had pasta a la vodka, which I kind of claim is kind of BS because we just talked about this. Vodka brings nothing to the party. Like why do people drink vodka? Like gin. If you, get, if you want a white liquor, like drink gin because it there's so many different flavors and there's so many different types of gin you got dry london gins you got like the real herbal and like spicy gins and and the real citrusy gins like there's so much right but people drink vodka and like vodka brings nothing to the party so anyway uh my wife's making this pasta a la vodka oh, and and i'm like what's the story with this vodka and she's like she's like actually i looked that up too because she's i've actually i have i have transitioned her in second many years from the vodka to the gin side because she doesn't like the, we were talking about this earlier, she does, she's not into the juniper thing. And a lot of gins traditionally, right, are heavy juniper. Like that's the main uh, aromatic, I guess is what they call it, right? But she's found a lot of these gins that are more um, like Bombay Sapphire and certain ones that are just like, there's all these other botanicals, herb, herbals, whatever, that, uh, and, and the juniper, although legally required, is actually plays a small role. And so she's like really gotten into the gin thing. But anyway, so like what so the, the question is like why the hell do people put vodka in their red <laughs> pasta sauce when it doesn't bring anything to the party? And what happens when you cook vodka? It just like it disappears, right? It's not like it's, it's not like you're getting I, uh, drunk off it. It's not you know, you're not getting any alcohol really. It it does something. Well I don't know what it is, but so I, I know there is a she reason. Read to up have on it. It, and apparently because you know, vodka is an ex I'm making this word up, an extractant. Is that a word? So like, you know, vanilla extract, or all these extracts. So vanilla is a, it emulsifies, not emulsifies, but it somehow, right? It, so certain things are, solu it solubilizes, see? 
This, this is hard. It's 10 o'clock at night. I've had good, many good, alcoholic good beverages. Sir, you guys are, show. I feel like I'm here. being judged right now. <laughs> well, I just, you're, you're way outside anything I, I, I can comment on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I'm being judged, but anyway, no, it's it's sol it sol solubilizes uh, vodka is a, is a is a yeah whatever the word is, but it solubilizes right certain compounds. So some things are fat soluble, some things are water soluble, and many things many things are are alcohol soluble. So the idea is, I think, that vodka because it has alcohol brings out like more flavor, literally out of like the, the compounds that are in the in the in the tomato sauce and things. So that's the theory. I don't know if I buy it at all, but. I appreciate the theory, I guess. At least I understand it, it a little bit. I, I have to do more research now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, back to trail Salesforce. Trailhead, trailheadics. <laughs> trailheadics. I, I, this is John's role, right? He reminds <laughs> us that this is a Salesforce podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is your point. Okay, go ahead, John. Yeah, I was going to say, he's already taking over my job right now. <laughs> again. This is what I do. I, again. I am one inch. This thing's like right in my mouth. <laughs> Marker. <laughs> so, Trailhead X. Trailhead X, what? Oh, I was just responding to you. Now let's talk about it. So, let's talk about what, what we. I, I mean, I met John for the first time this yeah. year at Trailhead X. That was nice. It was nice to get you out to one of these. Been pestering. I'm the I'm the I'm the recluse out of the two of us. That's true. And. Uh, I, you know, I was going to say, we never really did a formal introduction, but that's not, that's not how conversations start. What was your name again? Chuck, <laughs> Chuck Liddell. Oh, that's right. MMA fighter, Chuck Liddell. The Iceman. We happen to, happen to run into him. Recent, recent Big Brother contestant. Yeah. Really? Or, organizer extraordinaire and does the best introductions out of anyone I've ever met. <laughs> if you ever get the chance to get introduced by Chuck, it is, it is the, the most greatest experience ever. Runs the best conference sessions ever. I'm, I'm blushing. Like the, the MC extraordinaire. Like, seriously, masterful job. Kudos on the organizing, the planning, the, the arm twisting, the whatever had to happen to make it happen and it just went off so smoothly and you did a great job and it was a lot of fun i'm very honored to even be participating in it and i'd learned a ton from it that's pretty much what i so we're talking about the extra the extracurricular which was extraordinary uh, well, the, a lot well, of fun and i learned thank a ton. you very much you're, you're turning me so, bright so, red here so yeah chuck's blushing and yeah. jeremy's reaching in for a kiss at the moment <laughs> uh, we'll give uh, them a moment to well if we're giving credit where credit's due, I could not have done it without Peter Chittam, uh, another good day, sir, Army fellow. But he, uh, from the inside of the machine, worked the system as best he could and uh, certainly did some arm twisting, I'm sure. Uh, for example, he was able to miraculously produce a whiteboard for us this morning. <laughs> I walked in and there was not a whiteboard. And then 20 minutes later, there was a whiteboard, a huge one. <laughs> so uh, is, that, is that unprecedented, a whiteboard at a... Salesforce conference? Uh, you know, we started asking for it a, a while ago, and um, it didn't look like it was going to happen. And Peter rolled in in person, and within 24 hours, whiteboard. So I'll leave you to draw your own conclusions, but I'm sure there were some dark alley conversations where Peter, you know, bribe people or who knows, <laughs> but he made it happen. So uh, he was the inside man on this one. Yeah. Well, we're not alone. There's more than three of us. We have Stefan, right? Did I say that right? Yes, that is correct. Yeah. Mm. So, 
What did you think? I'd say if I learned one thing today, it was how to spell extracurricular. Um, you know what? You say yeah. that, and I, I yeah. had to consciously have my spell check open. In fact, I just copied it into a text <laughs> editor, and any time I had to use it, I tried to copy and paste it because I knew I was going to screw it up. Yeah. 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 Tweeting was really difficult, so I only did it once. Um, Hashtag hell is what that Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so besides the extracurricular, um, John, you haven't really been to one of these in a while, right? You haven't been to Dreamforce in a while. I, I haven't been to... I, I didn't do the Trailhead Trailhead X. I'm not I'm just gonna say Trailhead X. I haven't been I didn't go to that last year. Um, but Jeremy said it was good. It had some developer content. It I would find something here. Uh, and I did, the extracurricular. Um, it's not that I didn't I, I didn't really have a lot of time to go to a lot of sessions, so I can't really give a fair comparison on whether the sessions were good or not. because um, I was trying to balance out a lot of work with it. But I did kind of look at the sessions and the titles, and the titles and the descriptions were really important to me in deciding whether or not it was something I should skip work for. Um, and unfortunately, there was I didn't feel like there was a lot. I felt like there was a lot of kind of 20-minute sessions. There were things that, that looked like they would be great. A lot of great titles, a lot of great topics. But my concern was the time. I'm like, okay, you've got 20 minutes to talk about AI, and you say you're going to build. We're going to build this AI component that works with Einstein and everything in 20 minutes. And so I was, you know, the timing of these things, it never feels like it's enough time to really explore and get in deep with some of these things. Hence. Well, yeah, I mean, that's one of the, the things we wanted to go with, with the longer sessions at the extracurricular. Um, it's interesting. I want to talk a little bit about work, actually, uh, because last year, you know, Jeremy came out and we had a, a good time. And I think we spent a lot of the conference last year just talking to people in the hallways and sort of meeting new people and networking and, and having interesting moments. Um, and when you first got here, you were quite anxious about working. I'm um, yeah. we able to sort of to pull you out of that and try to get you out to start talking to people. Um, and you did agree to come out and talk to people. And I hope that you found that it was a great opportunity to interact with people you didn't know and, and meet some new people in the community. Uh, I think that's one of the, the big values of an event like this. Yeah. I'm, I'm usually one that has to get drug out. I'm, I'm not, I'm not. Believe it or not, I'm a very shy, kind of intro introverted, antisocial person. And so for so me to get developer. out and talk to people and get out and do things, it's a big effort. It's, it's a big effort for me to go out and do that. Um, even public speaking, I'm better at it now than I used to be. But it used to be such a terrifying prospect for me to get up and talk. And even our early podcast episodes, in fact, that's the main reason we have the what did you bring to drink segment is because I was so nervous. I couldn't talk. And the alcohol, it was my liquid courage. Yeah. Um, How did you feel being on stage today then? Was I was that, fine. Were you nervous at all then? No, no, no I was fine with that. Um, like I said, I've gotten better about it over the years. My anxiety, I still get a little nervous like right before it starts. But once it's going, I'm fine. Um, there were just points in the, in the area where I wasn't sure whether or not I should start, start going forward and start moderating and that kind of stuff. Um, like in, in our session with, with Matt... Um, I felt like the audience was already starting to want to, wanting to engage. We had the panelists already engaging. We had we, what I say? Oh, Matt Lacey, yeah. So Matt Lacey, and um, so I kind of felt like it was the right time to try to start opening up and get some conversations going. Um, but my my fear was I was going to miss that moment. That if I just let it go, that we would miss our moment to get audience engagement and things like that. So it was just kind of a judgment thing at that point that I did that. 
Yeah, and you, you definitely had the uh, the benefit of seeing all the other sessions go throughout the day. Yeah. So by the time we got to your third session, we really had it on point. I won't say on point, but we had a better sense of how to run it than we did at the beginning of the day. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy was our guinea pig. Uh, you know, you know, like, what was it like being in the first group? I mean, so it's it's always interesting going first, right? Because you don't have. Uh, it, it's where you learn the most. It's yeah. like, um, and to be clear, uh, for you that don't know, Jeremy was the moderator for the first session today, and John was the moderator for the last session today. Right. It's it's. I mean, it reminds me of um, when you first start a new significant software project. Um, in the beginning, you you feel like you might know a lot, but you actually later what you realize is you didn't know that much, and it's just totally a learning thing. So. I feel like there's a little bit of a fractal here. It's like, first of all, this extracurricular in general was a learning thing for all of us, including for Salesforce. I think this is a learning thing for Salesforce. They, they, they've never let a community no. run content inside yeah. one of their their events before. And we've already talked about, you know, the, the what uh, the effort that Peter Chittam put in helping us put this together. But also, we just have to, you know, give I think a, a big credit to Salesforce for doing this because. Um, they really didn't apparently get to review like our our slides that the, that the not that we had a lot of slides. They, but, they, they put a lot um, of faith in us. They did put a lot of faith in us, right? Um, and I give again, I give I give you know you and Tom a lot of credit for that. Peter a lot of credit for that. I mean, obviously there was some vouching going on for uh, just this the not only the idea but the people who were behind it, um, which is great. And and I hope that Salesforce after they get to re, you know talk to, to the um, get the reports back right in the surveys and everything. I mean, I hope they come away from this thinking, hey, that was really good. Because although it was, um, you know, it's one of these things that it, it's, it's, one, it's more raw, right? That was the whole idea of this. It's more raw. It's, it's community. It's, um, and we're here because of Salesforce. Like, we're not, um, it's not an alternative. And we want to be clear about that from the beginning. That's not an alternative to Drill, Trailhead. It's not an alternative to Salesforce. It's, it's on top of in addition to, but it's, it's um, and it's not exclusive. It's not like we didn't want Salesforce involved. It's just that we wanted something where, it's almost like a roundtable of of of, um, of people in the community, right? Um, us who are consultants and product builders and ISVs and trainers or whatever. I mean, whatever you do, like however you are, for whatever reason, whatever brings you into this community, we can all kind of sit around a, a, a virtual roundtable kind of and, and discuss this. Um, Without, we just want people to learn, we, right? Exactly. And we, this was and we, an, and an experiment in a way people might like to learn. It's a new way to learn. It's almost like um, one of my uh, favorite conference formats is the um, the open space format. And I won't go into the details, but like you ultimately end up basically in a in a a, a big circle. Like everyone arranges their chairs in a circle, and you're just you you've all agreed on a topic. And everyone's just sharing, right? And that's kind of what the goal goal was. And we might, you know, for future thing, things, we might we might adjust the format or whatever. But that, that's kind of the idea: is that for the community just to get together and share based on some topic we've all just decided to talk about. But again, big credit to Salesforce for uh, having faith in us and that, that we wouldn't, you know, again burn the place down figuratively or literally. I, I was teasing shit, uh, teasing Peter yesterday about. It. I'm like, yeah. oh, you know, I don't know. We'll try not to burn the place down. But <laughs> back to uh, to <laughs> being the, the first moderator, <laughs> uh, we definitely applied a little bit of agile methodology today, right? We had sort of a, a two hour sprint, yeah, and uh, we iterated and did like yeah, a little yeah. uh, review and how can we do better. And every single session, I thought was a little better than the session prior, based on what we had learned and adjusted. Totally agree. And that's and that's I didn't I didn't, I didn't circle my and then come back and finish my my thought. But that was the idea. Is like this whole thing was a learning event for for Salesforce and for all of us involved. But each, um, 
each session in the in the extracurricular was a learning experiment. And after we finished each one, we kind of huddled and talked about, hey, that was great. What can we do better? How do we get people more involved? Whatever. And each time we learned something and we applied it and we talked to the next speaker and the next panel and, and the way you uh, address the audience and explain to them, which I thought was great. Um, it really, I mean, it got better every time. I, I definitely changed what I was saying over the course of the day to yeah. try to tune it. Um, so one of my, we got a lot of great feedback, by the way. A lot of people came up to me and said, hey, I, I love this. I love the deep dive. I learned a lot. Uh, you know, where can I get more of this? So that was great to hear. Uh, I'm sure there were people that it wasn't a great fit for, right? It's just a little too dense or too deep, and that, that's okay, right? We're trying to, to provide a forum for people that wanted to go deep. Um, I think one of my favorite moments, and we should give some sort of specific examples of stuff we covered today, uh, when Matt Lacey was, at the end of the day, was doing his sort of state management uh, in single-page applications, we kind of went deep on how do you do lightning applications at scale, right? How do you actually manage your state uh, when you have lots and lots and lots of components in a complex hierarchy, and nobody knew the answer to that question. But as a group, we just sort of thought it through a little bit, did a little bit of whiteboarding, kind of kicked some ideas around, and we were actually like designing as a group of like forty or fifty people trying to figure out how to solve a pattern problem that hasn't been solved yet on the platform. And I thought that was really cool. Like I really enjoyed that moment. Yeah, I did too. And it's one of those things that. We had some interesting ideas, and we're obviously looking at um, other communities, the React, you know, React and Redux and Flux and Vue and Vuex, and how they've it's, it's a it's a pattern that they've all, um, I think, um, come across and adopted to some degree in different different variations, um, and it's obviously something that you know the Salesforce teams and engineers that that work on Lightning or whatever. You know, you know it's something that I think we know this. It's something that they understand is something that needs to be addressed and solved, and I'm sure they're thinking about it. But um, to whatever degree, like our conversation helps, could possibly help them just at least uh, maybe frame the problem or understand what we're dealing with. I think um, you know, would it's, it's great. Um, it would be interesting to see what um, what they have to say about that. What what are the, the applicable teams and and what they in, eventually end up coming up with. But um, yeah. Now you were in all three, right? Yeah, so I want I want to get I want to get your take on this. So. Yeah, so I obviously I knew that there would probably be quite deep dives into the topics, but I wasn't sure exactly how deep we would get to the point of trying to provide new theory of designing lightning components and and getting like really deep into composition. I mean, Mike was putting together 90 components just to make his list table because of how yeah. finite to, of detail it was and to to understand and see that someone's going that deep and be able to take the audience through that journey and through those decisions was really, like, not necessarily inspiring because that's cheesy, but uh, keeps I, I you think, hopeful. I think, I think his, his talk was really great because it kind of illustrated how some of these things sound simple. You read and yeah. you say, oh, it's a data table. It's got sorting and paging and all that kind of stuff. That's easy. Mm. And then you, you kind of see what engineering that goes behind it, all the decisions you have to make, and then, and then you start getting into getting into making it dynamic and having to support, you know, all the metadata and the different uh, field types because this is now editable. Um, and so I thought it was really great to really get into that. It wasn't like a quick quick one and done. I made a data table and it could sort. Yeah. Cool. No, he really went in deep into the, the actual architecture and all the different components yeah. that went into that. I mean, and we were talking later on as well about how the design system doesn't necessarily 
comply with the version number, so it's always being upgraded and your right. components need to be built and with the ability to refactor as much as possible as sort of the, the system changes. Yeah. Um, so, so in terms of just kind of your experience overall, so you went to the first one, you went to the second one, you went to the third one. Did, yep. you, did you feel like it was evolving? Did you feel like it was devolving? Did you feel like it was getting better with each iteration? Evolving. The, the process was smoother, I have to say, towards the end, but I like the, the grit of it anyways. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I, and I, I wasn't able to go to all three. I was able to go to the first one and the second one. I had to miss the, the middle one or the, the last one. The I, I was in the yeah. third one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I really felt, from my perspective, the audience participation was really great. I felt people, as it went on and, and people got, more people started speaking, more people started getting confident about getting up and asking questions and yeah. offering up opinions. I thought it was incredible. Like, at one point in time, there was a queue of, like, 10 people waiting to ask questions. That was, that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 I guess, in some sense, it kind of validates kind of the experience that we were trying to go for the the idea behind it which was really to kind of get that involvement get people to kind of come up and talk and not just get up there and ask a question and move on but to feel free to ask a question ask a follow-up question and even maybe not not even be a question just offer up a tip we had a lot of people who came up and offered tips or ideas of things that they've done yeah i mean really great. people were sat there for the the full two hours like through the lightning talks into the full session, people were sat there, and there was this person who I saw get up right at the end, went and grabbed lunch and came back, yeah. right back to back. I also thought it was funny when uh, when they started announcing the Parker keynote, <laughs> yeah. and Mike was out there and he goes, aw, I wanted to go see Parker. <laughs> but also I noticed, I didn't see anybody get up. No, no one left. No one left. Mm. It's good, but it, that's a true testament to how like sucked in people were and, and entranced by by the, the speakers that you selected today because they just sucked you in you, and you really didn't want to miss anything What was to see what was coming next. Yeah. And... <laughs> I, I'm blushing again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just really pleased with how it turned out. Uh, we had a great crowd on stage today. I was blown away by who we ended up with. And I, I didn't really even plan it necessarily to be certain groups of people, but when I looked at the roster when we were done, I think uh, nine out of eleven people were MVPs, and we had a couple of CCAs on stage and, and, and like authors of books and stuff. It, it was just I, I apologize for bringing down the average on the certification. Yeah, you guys kind of destroyed it. Um, I mean, that begs the question: who who wasn't an MVP besides Jeremy? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, we just, I mean, we just had a, a great crowd. I was very confident that as long as we didn't totally screw up the structure of things, that things that it would go well, right? B because of who was going to be on stage and who was going to be on the panel. Uh, and I was really pleased with the response the audience had. So overall, I was very happy with how this went. Um, I'm curious if you thought of the, the quick talks before the, like, the kind of openers into the main talks. Did that feel natural would you maybe have done it differently because one thing i considered was having all the quick talks as their own thing like maybe six or seven in a row as like a little hour of their own and then have the other talks be just the the main talks what do you think uh so I'll, i guess i'll go first since yeah. i already had a mic in my face i, um, I reached for it <laughs> i'm not letting you run this oh, yeah um i thought it was good like having the quick talks to be interstitial to the to the big talks um but what we did was it's like there were two quick talks that 
kind of prefix the main talk. And instead of that, and I don't know if it's just a shift in mentality or if it actually would make a difference, but instead of that having maybe like as soon as a talk is done, immediately having a quick talk go on, two or three quick talks. So it's, it's not like they're, they're leading into a talk. They're just, they're the interstitial material between talks. I, I that's, the only, that's the only potential change maybe that I would suggest. I mean, I really liked it. I, I really, I, I thought we could maybe stress more that you know these are just regular people coming up. Maybe even this might even be their first time because I think that would kind of help, kind of let people know that hey, I could do this too. Maybe, maybe next year I can do this. Um, but I love it. I feel like it's like a great opening act for a stage. It's a great way to get exposure and all those kind of things. Um, so I really loved it, and the content was good. So a better call to action around it, maybe to frame it and say, hey, you know, these people. They're coming on stage. Maybe have never been on stage before. Mm-hmm. They're a little nervous. Let's give them maybe an extra round of applause. This could be you if you want to try this out sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely could have done. I'd, I'd like to set that up differently next time based on yeah. your feedback. Thanks for that. Yeah. I just, I mean, my, I guess my kind of final thoughts on this because we we can talk about other aspects yeah, yeah. of the conference, but is um, I really feel like this was valuable. I hope Salesforce feels that this was a big value add to the conference because I think it was. I mean, I, again... They were definitely um, keeping an eye on how it went. Sure. Right? I'm curious to see if they thought it went well. Yeah. I mean, I think we're, we're, just, we're getting together solving problems to make uh, development and solutions on Salesforce's platform more valuable. So I hope they, I hope they feel uh, they view it that way. Yeah. So, uh, so segue into other stuff at the conference. Uh, obviously, I couldn't go to any sessions today, but I did go to a few yesterday. I'm happy to share sort of what I saw and me um, think about anything that you saw or weren't too that you want to share. Uh, I did catch the end of the Apex talk with Chris Peterson, uh, you know, longtime listener, very vocal in the community. And, and friend of the podcast. And friend of the podcast. Uh, and I'm happy to report that Switch is coming out and drum roll. Count, count. The, not well. So, the sock will count, right? Yeah. Sock okay. will count. Sock it, will count. So, what's the news on count? So, previously with count, uh, as you counted rows, you were charged against your DML limits. You could only every time you counted a row, it went up by one for your DML limit. You could only you could only count up to the number of DML rows you could query Which is like at what, once. 50,000? 50,000? Okay, fifty thousand. So you, you only count up to fifty k. Uh, now count can go beyond that and is only charged, I think, once against your row limit for the count query. Uh, so that's that's huge because that's such a weird little edge case that people don't even expect to be a problem and it occasionally blows up people's orgs because when you hit a limit, your transaction explodes. So, like, who expects count to blow up their transaction? But And that was... I, I, I do because I did that. <laughs> <laughs> and what I did to solve it was limit 50,000 and then on the UI I did 50,000 plus records. Yep. <laughs> so uh, I should pass along that the best practice that has been recommended to me <clears throat> is to still limit your count. So, you know, count up to 100K or 150K and then limit it and say you have 100 plus K records. Um, it's still weird to me that you have to limit that because that's normally an operation that most database systems optimize for yeah um because it's often an important thing to know how many of a thing you have that's seems like a fair question to ask <laughs> we are dealing with the world's number one platform crm system whatever they call it nowadays right you think you could get a count of like how many of these things do i even have 
Is that not a valid question to ask? Is that a fair question to ask? Yeah, I think the limit's more to preserve uh, the the limit on the counts is more to preserve your other limits uh, in your transaction for other yeah. things. But I, I don't disagree with that sentiment. Uh, but I'm thrilled at the step forward that this represents. So is there not a limit on count now? You can count as high as you want. Okay. All your fingers and toes, many <laughs> times over. Uh, just, it will take time potentially to do all the counting. So if you're really? worried about like your timeouts and stuff, yeah. It's I mean, still, it still seems like that. I mean, we, I know we could profile it when it comes out and see I mean, where we're at. Oracle's pretty damn good at counting, so I feel like. And this is also, I just want to say, this is one of those things that I feel like the the original reason that was limited is because Salesforce. Anytime they release a new feature or extend a feature, add some, enhance something, they're always um, initially very cautious because they don't know what the demand for that feature is going to be. So they put stricter limits on it at first. Sometimes limits that seem unfair, but because that's because they're trying to gauge. Well, they don't. They haven't seen this feature perform amongst their hundreds of thousands of customers yet, right? So they don't really know. So, well, they, so they've got to be conservative first, which I appreciate. Yeah. I understand. And so I feel like this is one of those things that like, okay, we run Oracle. It's pretty badass. It's fast. It's optimized for things like counting the number of records that's, that's in a table. True. Okay, but and, I, I got, and we have all the, hang on, we have well, all this data on how people do SQL queries and we know what to expect. So we can go ahead and loosen that up, right? It's not a matter of loosening it up. It's a matter of, of performance. It, it's not just that it's got to do a count on how many records are in this table. It's got to run it through the data layer and the security layer because remember, your context still applies. If I can only see 10,000 records in Salesforce, when I run select count ID, it's only going to come back 10,000. There may be a million records in there, right. but that, that's, that's where I think the it's, issue is. Yeah, no, I, I get it. It's not just a raw, like, right. hey, go to Oracle and do select right, count. Exactly. It's more than that. They are joining against because we can speculate on how Salesforce implements sharing. And the way they do that is by they have sharing tables in Oracle. Right, that they're joining against. Now these joins are all indexed, and while they're doing joins, it's they are doing joins, but it's they're indexed, and it, it's. I mean, so yeah, that add, that adds. There's a performance cost to that security you get out of the box with Salesforce. And yeah, again, this is fine. multi-tenant. I mean, they have to they have to strictly manage that performance. We can't have one it's, one system going awry. It's the, and, it's the cable modem model of enterprise computing. <sighs> uh, you guys are all sharing the same line here. <laughs> kind of like we're sharing these mics. I know. <laughs> One of these days, we'll get four mics. <laughs> yeah. Other sessions, yeah. Um, so I, I did two keynotes. I did the I did the um, the first keynote, which I, I saw Mark Benioff, which was actually kind of cool because I was one of the early ones walking in, and that that first keynote was I think it was packed. Like they filled that keynote room, um, but he was not. He was just like walking around, chilling with people, um, and uh, like I saw, you know, I think I think Parker was there. Uh, who else did I saw? Luminaries. I mean, so uh, Daniel Peters up there, Adam Olshansky, and some of these other MVPs were just kind of up there chilling, hanging out as we're all walking in. But it was um, it was uh, Keith Keith Block did the the main part of the. It was like forty five minutes, mm-hmm. and it was like it was a Keith Block speech. Um, it was fine. wasn't developer-y, right? That's kind of the big takeaway from that. And then Brett Taylor got up. Um, I don't really recall what his content was either, but. I kind of bailed on that at some point. Uh, realized it wasn't really targeted for me, so I, I wanted to spend my time in, in other ways. But I don't know. Did Benioff? Did he actually speak at, at the conference? So he, I mean, he was there. He was, you know, he's like the tallest guy, and even out of like the ten thousand people in there, he's like the tallest guy in there. You know, you can't miss him, uh, with, yeah. especially with his shiny shoes. Like his shoes were like burning my retinas from at an oblique angle. 
They're so shiny. It's always got the shoes. Well, I told cloud, you I was sitting this, in this like in this hotel. Version eight of the Cloud Walkers. I was, I was sitting in this hotel and I'm sitting over at that bar over there. No one can see me point, but uh, I hear his voice. But by the time I turn around, all I see is the back of him, and he's walking with a group of people. And one of them's one of them's an older lady, and so she's kind of shorter and walking slower. And so he's also walking slower and looking down. So it changed his demeanor to me. Like I didn't recognize him because of the way he was walking and moving. Um, but yeah, that was my that was my Benioff sighting. That's the only time I ever saw him. Anyway, so I don't know what I don't know what else happened in that keynote because I, I I left. But anyway, the, I went to I the, we were talking about Benioff sightings. A couple hours later, everyone's was, laughing at me. Yeah, because this this weird. Oh, okay, anyway, but th- there was a DX <laughs> keynote, and that was um, that was much more interesting for for I think developer content wise. Um, that was um, it was Wade, it was and Wade. Then there was um, and Wade had some. So they announced some features. And I and I always I mean always appreciate Wade talks because um, they're he you know he I think he it's pretty straightforward yeah and, and he's a develop he's an that's a developer at heart and he knows what we're there for and yeah. so you know and that's what he structured and they announced some new features so um, dependency API was my favorite that was pretty cool although I, I that was cool because you can query that so there's things you can do that are nice yeah. at runtime but I also thought to myself is that any more information that you could have gotten by in a chain set going Show me. I was it add show dependencies, add dependencies, whatever. Is it not yeah. the same thing? Well, no, it's, it's just available a, through an API. They've had it internally had it. for ages, right? You could but, always like click on things and see where they were used, but you couldn't surface that in any meaningful way. So I think maybe one difference though is so the the change set thing. When you say add dependencies, you're saying what depends on this thing I've added. But you with, both with this, you can do both directions. You can yeah. say yeah, what all depends on this thing, right? So that's and that's I mean that's going to be I think hugely beneficial. So that that's a pretty well, I mean, the, the very first thing that they demoed with it was showing a dependency graph, which is a natural evolution because you have very little insight in a complex organ to what uses what, right? The old happy soup. Yes. So if you have any tools yeah. to help you start yeah. like breaking through the happy soup and seeing where you can carve out pieces. And they even said, they were honest with the, about this and said that this is, you know, related to this problem we have. A lot of people with very complex orgs trying to figure out how to use DX. And the number one problem with how to use DX is how do I take a very complex org and break it down so I can get it into little modules that are DX friendly. Being able to understand, like if you just keep backing out from the objective, which is to get big orgs into DX, you end up with, I need insight into the structure of my complex org, ergo dependency API. Yeah. Makes uh, sense. Uh, it does. Um, and that's, that's a nice feature. I, I think what a lot of people are going to find though when they run that, when they look at their dependencies is that they do have a giant bull of toxic, disgusting, stinky, happy soup, right? It's going to be a big spaghetti mess. Um, and so, it, if anything, it, I think it will show them that they, I, I, I don't know, that maybe, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you take that in, in a lot of these orgs that, that I've seen and worked in and, and turn that into something that is DX friendly, which is a whole other topic, but uh, a cool feature, though. Um, other things. Um, well, I wanted to talk about the the whole pipeline release and getting to use Heroku tools. I remember when I think it was a few Dreamforces ago when I went in and they, it was a it was a topic about using pipelines and continuous integration and all those kind of things. And I remember sitting in that session going, "This is awesome. This is really great." And then realizing, "Oh, this isn't for Apex, is it?" <laughs> well, it's just it's, it was a Heroku thing. So, it was a Heroku thing, but it, the way the, I guess when the way I read the description or something, I, I really thought it was going to be something that we could use as Apex developers. Um, and so it's kind of funny that when I was sitting in here and they brought that up and they brought up the fact that you're going to be able to use these pipelines and things like that. Um, 
I was excited, but at the same time, all I could think back to was was that moment where I was like, "Oh, this wasn't for us, and now it's for us." So I'm I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> uh, so just segue off that, um, I went to a session, a Heroku session on Kafka. Uh huh. Um, so you made me think about like Heroku and sort of the gap between Heroku and Salesforce. Right. Uh, and it's an awesome little demo of Kafka. And I've gotten into Kafka recently at, at a project that I'm, I'm doing right now that involves Kafka. And uh, it's really slick. You know, I love messaging frameworks. Um, and he did this great demo on, on you can use Kafka and Heroku and it's super easy to configure. You can just stand it up and he showed some cool demos. Um, and then he, he went to Q&A and I, I feel like the elephant in the room was, well, how do you make this work with Salesforce? And the very first question was, how do I make this work with Salesforce? And the second question was, how do I make this work with Salesforce? Um, and, and the answer was, you can't really. Like, you could write your own consumer and use existing Salesforce APIs. And some people have done that community-wise, but there's still not really a good native way to bridge the gap there. And I just, I, I'm a little frustrated that it's still so hard to get Heroku to play with Salesforce, especially yeah. with cool stuff like Kafka. I, like, I would love to use that hooked into Salesforce somehow. I, I know that Platform Events Under the Hood uses Kafka, but I have no insight or ability to tune that or, or treat it like Kafka, right? Right. Yeah. So I, I, in that same event, um, it was the first time I got to see Andy Fawcett up there. I thought he did amazing. He, he looked so natural up there. I've, I've, and, and just the way he presented and, and gave his, his talk, I was, I was really impressed with. I uh, really enjoyed the content that he put up there. Uh, I thought it was funny that um, he did show that kind of dependency graph kind of demo. And then we had James up there on the quick talk doing the same thing. Um, so I, I had this thought forming when I was watching this. And then they started getting into the, um, I know I'm going everywhere, but they started getting into the ability to kind of plug into the, what, the CLI, yeah. So you can add your own plugins and things like that. And I thought that was such a great thing. Because uh, I, I go back to early days of Salesforce. You know, when it didn't have workflow rules and things like that, you know, it was people like us, developers, building that. We were augmenting Salesforce's system with custom code. And what made By that... jamming JavaScript into well, labels Okay, I'm not stuff. talking about hacks, but I am talking about the fact that they had a really great API that we could, we could do quite a bit with. We can get data in and out. We can push it. We can pull it. Um, and, and so we were able to write these tools and build these things on top of it. And I think anytime Salesforce opens themselves up for extensibility, it's good for them because we can come in and, and fill those gaps. We can do some really great things. And so to see them go this route was really encouraging to me because lately it's kind of been all about the point and click tools and it's really kind of taken the developers out of the conversation. Um, so it was really nice to get brought back into the conversation and say, hey, there's, there's this thing you can do and you can extend it. So if there's something you need to do that we, we don't provide or that we can't provide, you now have a way to kind of self-provision that for yourself. So I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, takeaway. So um, the one thing that I, I will learn, that I learned and will use a lot was during one of the design system sections. And I've got this issue that when you're, we're building hovers and popovers, the, the text won't truncate or wrap, and so you've just got a massive runoff. Um, and you can use, um, SLDS has flexi truncate to truncate the text within those wrapped around each of your individual um, outputs. Um, and then you can also do, what was it, SLDS hyphenate to actually wrap text within tight areas within Lightning, even though it goes against their, their principles and things like that. But it allows you to get a lot more text in there and wrap on default when it comes to components. 
this is like a somewhat solved problem in the CSS world, has been for a long time. Can someone explain to me why this is I, lightning well, re reintroduces this problem? The, the other thing that was quite interesting is currently all of the grid systems based off of Flexibox, I think, and they're going to be changing, apparently, forward-looking statement, everything over to CSS grids in about a year's time, which kind of changes the way that you compose the pages and components. Yeah, I mean... And we had a, we had a conversation about that the moving target of the lightning design system. I'm I'm really thrilled about the lightning system. I I like having access to the CSS. I like having, I like that they have a dedicated page to that. They have components. They have they have potential for guidelines which aren't filled out. If you go and click on the guideline tab, it's not there, which I wish it was. But I I'm really a big big fan of it. Um, but my only problem, at least these days, is the fact that it's such a moving target. The the design system is too big to zip up and make a static resource. So you kind of have to rely on your tags, your, whether it's Apex SLDS or you're importing it into Lightning to, to use those features. And one thing I learned is what I had assumed, and I guess what I'm learning, please correct me if I'm wrong, is that the version of the design system isn't tied to the version of your code. So if you wrote some code that depended on the design system and it's 2018 and now it's 2019, the design system is going to change on you, which means you're going to have a lot of UI artifacts if they modify things in a certain way, which we, we saw a little bit of with some, with some of Mike's presentation on the data table. Yeah, and where that really becomes a problem is that if you're packaging up those light, lightning components, once they're out, they're out. You can't depreciate them. And so if you've got components being built on a design system that's frequently updating, you can't go in and refactor. You're going to get yourself into a lot of trouble. So when you reference the light, so are you talking about, again, I'm a lightning dummy, right? So when you talk about the lightning design system, is this what you're, if, when you're developing, you're outside of lightning, but you want to style it as lightning? What's that called? Is that a different thing? It's the same thing. Same. It's yeah. the same. Okay. Really? Okay. Um, so when you reference there, is it the, just style sheets? Is that what it is? Or is it more than that? No, it's just, it's included in the, in just the component container. So when you reference, you know, these resources, are they not versioned just like an API would? Uh, so, so there is a version to the Lightning Design System, but the tags that support it, so whenever you, you load up your Lightning, well, if we talk about Lightning specifically, whenever you load up your container, it's loading the most current version of the Lightning Design System. Yeah. Right. In, in Visual Force, if you're, if you're using the Lightning Design System in there, you have a, you have a tag now for that, which is Apex colon uh, SLDS, I think. Yeah. Um, and then you have to put it within a div block and do SLDS as the main class. It's just kind of the body of it. Um, but my, and again, that goes back to my assumption is I thought it would, the version would, would stick with the version that you created the class or that component with, but it's not. It's a moving target. You're always yeah. getting the most current version of the, of the Lightning Design System. So as they modify the markup or as they modify the CSS and the styling and the positioning, it has, a, it has the potential to affect your, your current UI. It, which, which is why it's really important to pay attention to the pre-release orgs and the sandbox releases and things to make sure your components still look and the way you want them to. Now, what's interesting, though, is all of the base components that they've written are in accordance with the API version. Because even with the latest release, there's a load of new base components out there that you have to be on API 42 to run. And I'm a lightning dummy, but I just thought of something. Because I know you can put more than one lightning component on a page, right? Mm -hmm. And they can be from different vendors or even different, you've developed them at different times. 
and these aren't iframes. They're all on the same page, and they all, there's one instance of the Lightning design system loaded. That's why they have to be on the same version, which is always going to be the latest version. So that's almost yeah, like, true. I mean, I could see how it's kind of an advantage, but it's also a disadvantage of that whole system is that stuff's going to break. Yeah, and it gets updated really frequently. Yeah. I, I, I mean, one of the very first things that I did was try and replicate that activity timeline so if you're in, in Lightning, on the right-hand side, all of your activities come up in this really cool timeline with times and actions and all this awesome stuff. And there was a, a component that you could use to style from in the design system, put that into your orgs and do put every, whatever you want on there, custom objects, anything. And one day, magically, that line disappeared that runs through the activities, and no one had any idea how or where, but everyone's lines disappeared. Um, this was right after they made everyone's components transparent um, when they weren't wrapped in cards. And it was part of that whole mix-up. And stuff just started disappearing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I still think that Lightning is a giant experiment for Salesforce. And I think we were talking about this earlier in an earlier conversation this evening. But it's one of those things that I, I think when... You know, the team, and again, this is, we, we all, because we're all bad at estimating. And that's one thing that came out today in the extra curriculum a lot. It's like, and it's great to hear other people say that, like people that you like, you look up to or that are very experienced. It's, it's great to hear them also say like, I am terrible at estimating because we're all <laughs> terrible at estimating. It's not really, you know, it's not really our fault or it's just, it's not a shortcoming. It's just that, and you know, that it's the techno, that the, the technology that the, that we're dealing with is, it's constantly changing that. And also that your target in, in today's business world and the how fast everything's changing, your target's constantly moving. So you've got like two dimensions that are constantly moving and it's, it's just impossible. I mean, any problem that someone's asking you to solve right now, it's, it's arguably a, a slightly different problem than anyone else has solved and you're solving it with slightly different technology and tools than anyone's ever solved. And also as an organization, as you build the thing, you're learning more about your business and the thing you're building. So that, that's why these things are hard. But anyway, I back to I want to finish this thought. You know, I feel like I feel like I'm guessing, right? I have no idea, but when um when the the high ups at Salesforce said, "Hey, we want to we're ready to do this, you know, a new paradigm. We've got to change the UI for the future, right?" And they said, "Hey, engineering teams, go off, do some research, figure out how long this is going to take." I think they came back and said 18 months and we're we're good. We we will have it completely done, right? And of course, and that's, you know, and of course, we've all learned that this is a, this is probably a literally like a five year effort, um, and we're all learning. We've all kind of have uh, been drugged through this willingly or, or not. Um, but you know, it's I I, I appreciate that the, that although I don't I don't I, and I don't want to say that Salesforce wasn't honest with how long it would take because I don't think they knew that it would take this long. And that there would be this many, I mean, that lines would be disappearing still. And like, what the hell happened to my line? You know, like, why should this happen? But it's just, it's just, it's a big learning experience for everyone involved. And, and you know, Salesforce has got, they're not just like, they don't have to just make a system. They have to make a system that works for their existing hundreds of thousands of customers, right? Yeah. That's a problem I can't even, honestly, I can't even fathom, right? Uh, mm. so. Yeah, about a year and a half ago, um, the Lightning team, back then it was Shauna Wolverton um, and, and her, her posse, came out to Europe and they ran a load of Lightning workshops um, to try and get people to just actually get in and use it. Um, and Greg Ruiz, who's, I think he, he's PM for Lightning Components now, came down and was like literally walking us through taking Visual Force pages and building out components on top of them and then putting styling on 
one by one on every field within the Visual Force pages. But that's what really got me to actually jump in and start using the, des the design system and building out lightning components just to try and figure it out. And it actually did work because now they've had like hundreds of them all over the country. And I, th I do think they are getting people to actually start looking at how they, they're going to put that out. Uh, just kind of adding on to this discussion, since we're kind of talking about lightning and where it's headed and stuff. Uh, one of the things I thought was kind of emergent today in Matt Lacey's session, and this is where I hoped we would go. Uh, I love the lightning framework, just to be clear. Like, I've really enjoyed working with it. It At scale, at an enterprise level, I'm not sure how many people are really pushing it. Because if they were, I would see a lot more fuss about some of the things that are hard to do with it at scale, right? Like state management, what we talked about today. Um, other things that are really tricky, like you really have no control over the URL. So you can't do any sort of deep linking. Um, I don't see any good patterns out there for how to do sort of arbitrary jumps in the state or the visual appearance of your page. Or to manage um, essentially screens of a Lightning app that are not dependent on each other. Like I don't use markup. Um, I obviously can have dynamic instantiation, but just patterns for how to do that. Like, let's say like old school Java swing, you know, like card layouts and stuff and no card knew about other cards, but they implemented a card interface. So they knew how to be a card. I don't see anything like that in lightning. Um, and those are sort of like one Oh one at scale lightning app stuff. I would expect to see if people were really pushing it at the enterprise level. Um, so maybe I'm just not looking in the right places or I just haven't seen the right conversations, but it feels like some of these basic patterns haven't really been ironed out yet on the framework um, for doing sort of large applications with it. Um, I think that we'll get there eventually. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe that some parts of the framework don't support those, but maybe others are just, we haven't figured out how to do it the right way yet. Like, I think the state thing we talked about today, there's probably a solution for that. We can probably standardize onto some sort of pattern that makes sense, but no one's onto it yet, right? I haven't seen anybody say, this is the way to do this and everyone follows suit. Um, so uh, we're still early days. Like maybe it's stabilized to a certain extent, but starting to really build it at scale with sort of really clean patterns, I'm not seeing that yet. And I want it to go there. I want to see that happen. Um, but that's very much like the beginning of a conversation we're at right now. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, it is starting to move, but there, there are no standards. I mean, if you go into a Trailhead module, they're still calling classes from the controller, getting the data and passing it back to the components themselves, where all best practices now are saying, go use a handler, it's more efficient, keeps your JavaScript clean. Um, and it's, it, it's, just, it's, it's moving and iterating really quickly around the community. Yeah, and, and building on your lines disappearing thing, uh, something that was frustrating for us was in winter, there's a bunch of new base components that were added, and they didn't render properly when using Lightning out on a Visual Force page. So we dropped in things like the dual list box and the controls, like the little arrows for moving things back and forth between the two lists, are SVGs, and they just didn't render on Visual Force pages. Um, so you couldn't see that they were still there. You could click on them, but you couldn't see the controls and it didn't get fixed until spring. It was like months of, you couldn't click on the controls for the component. And I was just like, well, how is this, how is this the thing? Um, so, but I mean, it worked to be fair, it worked in lightning experience. It was specifically, if you're trying to do like a backwards compatible, like right. lightning classic kind of hybrid. Um, so it's just. There, for those of us that are right on the front lines trying to push this stuff, we're just constantly running into things. 
No, you took my thunder. <laughs> I, I took your thunder. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna try to try to say some of the things that you said. Um, well, I mean, I think this is just something that you see when Salesforce is trying to push as much as that they're going to push. And and Lightning out is still one of these things. It's it's an auxiliary thing, just like communities is an is an auxiliary auxiliary thing, just like person accounts is an auxiliary thing. And where if you look at the matrix of if you especially if you're crossing an auxiliary thing with another auxiliary thing, watch out because that's that's edge case city, right? And that's just you know that's that's just software, and Salesforce is not immune to it. No, I don't care how big they get, fifteen billion, twenty billion, sixty billion. You can read those things they leaked about how big they're going to be. It doesn't. They're still going to have these edge cases if they're still pushing like this. If they're still just like pedal to the metal growth, you know that's or and maybe that's what customers are asking for. But if if you want to live on the edge, if this is what you're building on, on especially on the on the on these edge cases, that's what you're going to experience. I think. Have you ever tried putting a Lightning component into a public-facing community and have it actually render anything? No, but I've heard, I've heard lots of people talking about communities today. Um, lot, lots, of, lots of issues around communities. Uh, one of the quick talks today was actually a Lightning Out application uh, where he was doing the Hacker News. This was Jurgis, DZH. And he was doing a Hacker News app that was a Lightning Out uh, application is running on his own server. And the components were unauthenticated surfaced through a community. And he was getting the component metadata sort of injected into his Lightning Out app from the unauthenticated community guest user, which was just kind of mind-boggling for me a bit. But that was pretty cool. It's, it's a big leak vector if you're not careful, if you don't know what, know what you're doing. <laughs> no, but seriously, that's... that's no, that was, okay, fair, fair. Yeah. Well, so... I remember my thought now. <laughs> I think the challenge is with enterprise. That's where I wanted to go originally. Was was lightning components in enterprise? I think we're not seeing a lot of patterns because a lot of those enterprises have built so much out on Visual Force, and to get them to transition and to move, I'm going to kiss the mic now. Uh, it's it's been a challenge. I have a number of clients who have built a tremendous amount of customizations around Visual Force and other technologies. And to, to tell them to move to Lightning, it's not just a matter of switching out a few pages. It's an entirely new implementation. So I do think that one of the reasons we're not seeing a lot of patterns and a lot of people tackling this is, is that we're still working on trying to fund this, this endeavor. We're trying to, trying to figure out where we're going to get the budget and when we're going to get the time to say, okay, everybody, we're going to move to this Lightning thing, um, but we got to rebuild everything. Yeah, well... it. To be fair, I wonder if part of the reason that I'm struggling with some of this stuff and other folks are as well is that we're trying to use Lightning in a way that it wasn't intended for. Like if if your sole use case for Lightning components was to sort of sprinkle them throughout the Lightning experience, right? Put it on a detailed page, use Lightning App Builder, a little widget here, a little widget there, then you don't have to solve state or deep linking or complex hierarchies or any of the stuff that I'm missing patterns on. Um, so if, if it was only ever intended to be something to just sprinkle a little secret sauce throughout your UI, then, then they hit the mark right on. But if you're trying to build sort of single page applications in lightning, that's where I feel like it comes off the rails a little bit as far as like, how do I actually make this work? Um, yeah. And I, you know, that, that's probably true for some of the smaller engagements where you do want to just add a few widgets here and there, mainly either for, 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 
or productivity or to surface up information to make it more convenient for the users. But when it comes to enterprise, I mean, they have built out major applications, things that maybe do uh, product pricing or even like their own kind of CPQ engines or quoting engines or things like that. And so these are really big applications they built within, and they're all dependent on all these different Visual Force pages and Apex class controllers and all those kind of things. Um, so to just say that you would be able to transition it and put a lightning face on it, it's, it's a bigger pick. It's a bigger endeavor than just that. Yeah. So, I mean, for example, I, I feel like I'm just ragging on lightning here. I, to be clear, I really like lightning. <laughs> um, but the, the inheritance structure in lightning is really quite poor if you're used to a, a really robust inheritance structure, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, generics and inheritance. Right. Um, Christian Menziger from our community actually really pushes the boundaries on this a lot. He's done some good stuff on it. Um, but in Lightning, you can sort of borrow code from a common ancestor pretty easily. There's really no way to have like generic children, like sort of interface implementers, and then treat them as a group where you don't know about them in advance. So any sort of programming around, I don't really know your specifics in advance, is really quite hard to do at an abstract level using what you would expect to be sort of a traditional inheritance style um, pattern. It's just like, like the inheritance in Lightning is sort of inheritance light. Mm -hmm. um, and so if, if you're used to like a pretty robust system of not knowing about things in advance, it's not really what you're looking for. Uh, so I, I feel stymied when I try to take patterns I know and like and apply them to this world. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to be conscious of time. It's late. We're all tired. We all had plenty of drink. Do you I, I want to do some this final thoughts? I thought one, like all of them. <laughs> want to do some final thoughts? Maybe everyone just kind of give their kind of take on the conference and where they're at. I'll let, oh, we'll let Stefan start. start. Yeah, I, I hope that this leads to a lot more community curated content at some of these events, similar to how all of the um, Dreaming events run. And it's it's just, we, we learn a lot more from learning from each other. Well, I, I kind of yeah. echo that. I mean, I, I, I do feel like when it comes to developers and the communities that we build around ourselves, it's really this community of, of helping each other. We talked about no one's putting design patterns out there or talking about what the things they do. And even in some of our conferences, we had um, Sarah who was saying, that's an interesting thing. You, you should write about that. Um, and it's really, it's really about, you know, all of us kind of participating and kind of putting our thoughts out there. And that's really what's made developer community valuable. That's what makes things like the Slack channel valuable. That's what makes things like, like a, a stack overflow and the stack exchange or the Salesforce stack. What do we call that one? Stack Exchange. Um, that's what makes those, those really powerful. Hey, John, how do you get on our Slack channel these days? <laughs> you go to www.gooddaysirpodcast.com forward slash community or go to gooddaysirpodcast.com and click on the link community. There is a spot to put your email address in. You can submit it. It goes to me, so be patient. I manually add everybody, uh, but we'll get you in there. Do you know what I've started doing? What's that? People that I think should be in the Slack community, I just go to that forum and I put in their email. <laughs> and then John just blindly adds them. And they're like, what is this Slack? And then they click accept and they show up in the community. It's great. I love it. So Chuck, how about your final thoughts? Um, I think this conference is still sort of figuring out its identity, right? Each year seems to be a little bit different. Uh, so I'm curious to see what it'll be next year. Uh, one of the things that was different this year is they, they combined it with Destination Success, right? So we had the three-day sort of boot camp. Then we had the two days of conference. It's sort of an action-packed week. Um, I really appreciated the chance to do the extracurricular here. This was originally going to be sort of a mini Dreamin' event as a standalone day. It got pulled into the conference 
uh, which is an interesting opportunity. Um, I do hope to see more community-driven content, but be, uh, even more so than that, uh, I think, I, I mean, I'm very interested in advanced learning, right? At a high level, as an architect, as a developer, how do you go to the apex, pun intended, of your career? Right? How do you get to that top level? And the answer is you talk to people, you have conversations with people, and I want to see more and more opportunities for people to have the conversations, right? To be able to join that club and participate in those higher level discussions. Uh, so any opportunity for that, I'm a fan of. I, I guess that's where I'm at. Yeah, I, I do think the uh, the what I didn't know it was called destination success, but this boot camp that that um, when it was a standalone conference, that's what they called it, but it's been merged okay. in. To this one, but a lot of those participants carried over into DX, right? right. So we had the uh, the architect track was w the one that I taught, and it was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, uh, and we just kind of went deep on all the different architect exams and, and how to be a good architect. And the types of conversations we were having in that room were the types of conversations I would hope to have at something like the extracurricular. So I really encouraged them to come, and I definitely saw some of my students there uh, at our event today, which okay. was great. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm not. It, I, it feels like that changed the complexion of DX a little bit. Maybe it could just be my perception. Um, it seemed bigger, than, and I—I I don't know if they even announced numbers. Talk, you know, on Dreamforce, they always talk about how many people registered. Um, we never know how many people actually attend and show up, but at least we know registration numbers. Um, I don't recall numbers last year. I have no idea what the numbers are this year. Although it felt quite a bit bigger. Um, in fact, I heard people referring to it as like Dreamforce Junior, which um, which I hope that it doesn't become Dreamforce Junior. Um, although I would, just because I'm crowdphobic anyway, I mean, I would prefer Dreamforce Junior over Dreamforce Senior anyway, but I, I still hope it keeps its identity as a developer event. And that's, I think that's a lot, it's kind of a fear I have. I've heard a lot of that from other people too. Um, not to name any names, but their initials are John DeSantiago. Um, I'm just, sorry, throwing you under the bus there. Um, no, those it's just, aren't even initials. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I really hope it it, it, it stays a developer-focused event. Um, today, I was tied up with the extracurricular, so I didn't get to go around as much. But yesterday, I did a um, couple couple of sessions. And, of course, just looking at the schedule, I mean, um, I don't know. It, it, it seems like it's drifting a little bit, and I hope that's just me and not what's there, happening. There were a lot of sessions that didn't feel very developer-y. Yeah. So... I don't know, and I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to just see what's driving that. If, if Salesforce just sees see, is seeing that that's there's demand, like attended demand, and the typical they're looking at like you know the the profile of their people who are signing up and and catering towards just who's coming, um, or if Salesforce is driving that, or if that's just um, if we're just if that's just measurement error and that's not really what's happening here. I don't know, but I really hope it stays a developer event because um, that's what I'm that's what I'd be most interested in. It's really big, though. It's even for a developer event. It seems really big. Um, you know, my my favorite developer events um, have been, you know, anything ranging from sixty to two or three hundred. And I know, you know, Trailhead DX is never going to be that small. I don't expect it to be. But if it's if it's twenty thousand people, if it's twenty thousand people, that's it's it's unwieldy. That's that's hard to manage, and it's, it's going to be. I think that's it would it would really not be able to be a true developer event at that size. I just don't think that's, I know there's 5 million developers in the Salesforce space, uh, but I, I think that, I think that would just inevitably water it down some. So I don't know, but I mean, but, uh, but it was, it was good though. There was, there was a lot of developer stuff. I felt like I will say that the, 
exciting announcements weren't quite as on par with last year. Um, I, I mean, I'd rather have incremental process improvement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, we're finally getting tooling. How long has it been since we had like a lot of tooling improvements? I, it's okay if they're incremental and steady. They keep them coming. Totally agree. I mean, yeah, and, and I and I get it. I mean, these these uh, the people that are that are working and, and building all these things. I mean, they're balancing lots of priorities and and so many different groups at, at Salesforce. That things have got to work. Per, you know, new things have got to work through and work through different channels and stuff. So it's it's a huge challenge. But uh, no, I mean, overall good. Uh, I'll try to come back next year. Um, and I hope they I hope they keep the focus on developers though. That's yeah, my you know, thought. if there are like five million developers, then uh, I mean, a Salesforce developer conference with that many developers would be way bigger than Dreamforce. This could be the big conference, exactly. The Salesforce yeah. developer conference of five million attendees. Yeah, yeah. Or no, it's billion. Is it billion or million? <laughs> I don't know. I, I did see that Salesforce. Uh, this was in the first keynote. They they t- I know we're not we're supposed to be wrapping up, but they they're taking credit for almost a trillion dollars of. US, US GDP. And I did the math. That's six, six or seven, six and a half percent of GDP. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> and, to go. and to that, I say, good <laughs> yeah, day, <exactly>. sir. <laughs> you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>